Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. My name is Stephen. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Grace. I want to welcome you, those of you here in person, those of you joining us online. We are thrilled that you are joining us in that way. Let's, uh, let's take a second to give a thunderous applause to the worship team. What an awesome. <clears throat> what an awesome job they did this morning. I'm so grateful for Pastor Jason uh, that he allows students to walk in their gifting and to use their, their gifts to glorify God. Uh, what an awesome thing to be able to be here for this morning. I'm thrilled for our students and so grateful. They are talented, but they're not just talented. They love Jesus. And it, it's, it's really, really awesome to, to be um, involved in their lives as their student pastor. I love it. And I know that they appreciate Jason's leadership and allowing them to do that. So I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to open in a word and prayer, and then we will jump into what the Lord has for us today. God. Communication is a gift from you. And learning to communicate well begins with listening to you. Lord, seeing that you used your words in such a way as to create life-giving environments. Lord, the fact that you spoke at the beginning of our existence and every word you used was to build a environment for us to thrive in where we ought to learn from you that that is how words ought to be used. So I pray you give us eyes to see this morning, ears to hear what you want to say to us through your word and through the principles of good communication that ultimately point us back to you. So we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So years ago, there was a Christian band, probably some of you will know the name, Audio Adrenaline, a Christian rock and roll band, and they had a song called the Houseplant Song. Now I'm going to share with you some of the lyrics. So the Houseplant Song said, once I read a book, and this is what it said, if your music has a beat, then you're going to end up dead. It doesn't really matter if it's Christian or not. If it's syncopated rhythm, then your soul is going to rot. And this book was called, Ow, You're Gonna Burn. And in the second chapter, I went on to learn. You take two houseplants and put them to the test. Set them both in front of speakers and let the music do the rest. The first one you play Mozart or something lovely like that. The second one you play some Petra and some Megadeth. 
It doesn't really matter what kind of rock it is. Now, I'm going to stop there because probably you are tired of hearing me attempt to be a rock star here. But ironically, this song reflects some real research that they took regarding houseplants where they played certain types of music to the plants and they discovered that certain rhythms really did cause the plants to wither while others didn't. And it just so happened that rock and roll music was one genre that had this plant-killing rhythm that just caused plants to wither. But as it turns out, rock and roll only causes plants to wither, not people. And the way that I know that's the case is because many of you went to a live festival and you listened to Skillet, something that I think, yeah, that's right, something that I think everybody should do in their lifetime is go watch a Skillet concert. And you seem... (laughs) You seem to be doing just fine. But just like rock and roll creates toxic environments for houseplants, certain types of conversations create toxic environments for people. You see, there's two kinds of conversations you can have. You can have conversations that cause flourishing, or you can have conversations that wilt people, that destroy people. Years ago, I heard a lie repeated over and over and over again, and it is as follows. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. See, that statement, though very helpful in getting kids not to fight physically, could not be any more false. You see, I have suffered injury after injury through the years, and my body's been restored, but there have been certain words said to me that I have thought about for decades. And they've left me with this lovely thing I like to call trauma to deal with. Words are powerful and they can create toxic environments. But my focus this morning is not to be on the negative, right? Just as true as it is to say that negative words create toxic environments, it is equally true to point out that positive conversations can create healthy environments for flourishing and thriving. And that's why this morning I want to talk to you briefly about how you can have life-giving conversations. You'll see in your notes I've created, I want to, I'm going to mess this up, some English teacher, you can help me later, an acrostic, okay, I'm not sure if that's what that is or an acronym, I don't know. But uh, one of, as you fill in the blank, we're going to give you life-giving conversation principles. So, Here's what I've learned. The most life-giving conversations that we can have are the ones where we love and we listen. We love and we listen. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the scriptures say this, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, as we have conversations with people, we can piece together the most beautiful words, we can share the most interesting stories, we can give the most factual information, but if we don't have love, then our conversation will simply sound like wah, 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 wah. You know what I'm talking about when the adults in the Charlie Brown show would talk? Never made any sense. (laughs) 
See, I've learned this over the years. This is especially true. Student ministry forces you to learn this, that people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? Look with me at Mark 10, 21. This is a scripture Jesus um, is mentioned in this passage. It says of Jesus that he was looking at a man and he felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now this is interesting. Jesus is sharing in this passage a pretty, pretty hard words to listen to, right? Go sell all your possessions, give all of it away to the poor and then you will be able to follow me. He's talking to this guy, but if you know the story, this rich young man comes to Jesus and he's seeking for Jesus to justify him in his life. He's trying to figure out how he can do the bare minimum in order to receive what the Bible refers to as eternal life. But he's off base because what he's trying to figure out is how can I get the Christian card without, without, with doing the least amount of Christian things, if that makes sense. And so Jesus, though, this is interesting. Jesus, because he's a great listener, because he has life-giving conversations, it says that Jesus first listened to the entire man's spiel before he spoke. Right, like you don't think that Jesus would have been able to hear the insincerity in the voice of this man as he said, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, Jesus could have saw through the fakeness, right? Because this young man in the story ends up walking away sorrowful because Jesus asked him to, to go to a standard that was a little higher than he was willing to go to. To love him, that is Jesus or God, more than he loved his possessions. And so, but in the story, it's interesting, Jesus does not interrupt him. He doesn't say, oh, you don't really care about this. He listens intently, and secondly, he looks at the man with love. Right? This passage says that he felt genuine love for this man. And this is powerful stuff, church family, because what this teaches us is that when you want to have a life-giving conversation, there are two things you've got to be focused on doing, and that is loving people and listening to them. Proverbs 20.12, this verse I've read before, but has become such a powerful verse in my life as of recent. It says this, ears to hear, and eyes to see both are gifts from the Lord. Notice, it does not say in this passage that a mouth is a gift from the Lord. It only mentions eyes and ears. And I think that is because God, when we speak, God wants our mouths to open only after we have seen people and we have heard them. He doesn't want words coming out of our mouths until we see and listen. So when I first read this verse, I got to tell you, um, I immediately my mind took me to, to preaching. I know that's kind of odd, but if you, if you know me, if you've spent time here at Grace, 
you know, if you've ever approached me after a sermon and you gave me a compliment, for example, and you said, Stephen, you did a great job today or that was a great message, nine times out of 10, my response is going to be this, God is good. That's the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Now, for years I've always thought, I've always asked myself, is that some false sense of humility that I'm saying that because like, Sometimes I wonder, should I just say thank you? Should I just say thanks for the encouragement or whatever the case may be? But I often say God is good. And then there are other times where I'm like, maybe I'm just really bad at receiving a compliment for doing a good job. But as of recent, as I've looked at this passage, it dawned on me that this God is good comment is perhaps my favorite way to respond to a compliment from now on. And here's why. Because I believe this with all my heart. When I preach a sermon that connects with God's people, it is not because I've put together words that are impactful. When I preach a sermon that impacts God's people, it is because God has given me eyes to see them, to see the world that they live in, the things that they're going through, to see the pain they might be experiencing, to see the doubt they might be having. And then he's given me ears to hear, ears to hear people's different struggles, ears to hear their hearts, and most importantly, ears to hear what God, the loving Father, wants to say say to them through his word. And here's the thing, after seeing you, that is church family or student ministry, after seeing you, after hearing you, family of God, and then after hearing from the one that loves you more than anyone or anything in this planet, the God, the Father, after hearing from him and listening to him to say to you what I believe he wants you to hear, then the words that I say are impactful. See, I... I wrote this down. It is out of the overflow of seeing and hearing that we have anything to say at all. And that's why I like to say God is good. Because it is God that gives me the ears to hear and the eyes to see. And then the words that come out are simply an exercise in listening to what he has to say. But here's the reason I say that to you. I'm not talking to you about how to preach this morning. I'm talking to you about having life-giving conversations because the principle still applies. If you're gonna have life-giving conversations, then the words that you say to people have to be out of an overflow of listening to them and seeing them. Experiencing their emotions and all of those things. So another thing that happens in life-giving conversations is that people ignore, people who have life-giving conversations ignore the clock. They ignore the clock. Mark 10, 46 through 52 says this. Jesus reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, that's an important statement, they're leaving the place they're at. A large crowd followed him, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, probably botched that, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And here's what the crowd said, right? Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, 
son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus heard him. This, I love this. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. When Jesus heard Bartimaeus, he stopped. Right? It goes on to say, he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on. He's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus asked him. What do you want me to do for you? Why? Because Jesus is a good listener. He said, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. I want you to notice again that this happened when Jesus and his disciples were leaving town. Typically when we leave somewhere, we're going to another appointment or we have some sort of agenda we're trying to accomplish. And see, everyone around Jesus saw Bartimaeus as a massive inconvenience to Jesus' schedule. They were like, Jesus, you don't have time for this man. We'll just tell him to shut his mouth, he, and then we'll just keep going to do our more important things. But I love this. It says that when Jesus heard him, he stopped. That's a lesson that all of us could learn when having effective communication. If we want to have life-giving conversations, we, when we hear someone, we need to stop. We need to pause the television. We need to stop scrolling on our phones on Instagram or Snapchat. We need to stop writing the email we're crafting. We need to stop calculating in our mind whether or not the conversation is worth having or thinking about the next thing we have to do or how late we're going to be or that this task is not going to get done. See, we ultimately need to tune everything out and ignore the clock because rush listening is not listening. And I can tell you, I am so guilty of this because I, at the core, there is, I cannot be more type A. I am so type A. I'm a list person. And generally, it's easy for me to want to receive from you the cliff note version of your heart. I just want the bullet points. Don't give me the whole story. But what I'm learning is that in order to have life-giving conversations, I have to stop and listen. And listen with love. Again, this is crucial for us who are parents or spouses or grandparents or any relationship for that matter. We've got to learn to stop and really listen to our kids. You know, it's very easy for me to interrupt and share my solutions as opposed to listening and hearing them. Which actually is the next point. See, to have life-giving conversations, when we're having those conversations, we have to feel instead of fix. We've got to feel instead of fix. I talked about this briefly last week, that when you listen to a person, don't tune your ears in to hear the problem, tune your ears in to hear the person, right? Because if you're tuning your ears in to hear the problem, then you're going to miss the person. You might completely miss what they're actually trying to say to you. And so we've got, to, we've got to learn to feel instead of fix. Again, Jesus was the master at this. If you look with me at John chapter 12, verses 32 through 36, it says this, that as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he have opened the blinds of my, the, um, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Now, to understand the story, this is the story, by the way, you're, you're, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? So, and he received, and this is what's interesting, when he received word that Lazarus was sick, his disciples were like, hey, Jesus, why don't we head up to where they are so you can heal Lazarus? And this is what Jesus basically said. He's like, no, we need to wait a little while. And in the time period of Jesus waiting a little while, Lazarus dies. And then Jesus says, now we can go up and see the family. Now, if you're not careful, you'll read this and you'll just think that this is an example of someone who doesn't go visit somebody in the hospital when they're sick, but then shows up for the funeral. But what you don't understand is that Jesus always planned to miss the hospital visit. He said to his disciples, listen, the reason we're going to wait around is because I'm going to use this opportunity to show God's power. And of course, he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead, demonstrating that not only can he heal people, but he has victory over death, right? And this is just, just several chapters in the book of John before Jesus actually raises from the dead. But it's interesting. Even though Jesus knows he's going to go and he, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he never interrupts anybody who's grieving when he gets there. I mean, it could have been so easy. He gets there, Mary, Mary and Martha are like, oh, we lost Lazarus. This is horrible. They're crying. I know we get the footnote version in this, by the way, or the cliff note version in this. It likely would have been a lot more crying, a lot more time. And Jesus simply sat there and he, he shared in their feelings instead of sharing his solution. Which, by the way, he already had the solution. It wasn't like he was like, oh, this might work. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, not a doubt in his mind that's what he's there to do. And yet he listens intently to the problems that they're experiencing, the pain they're experiencing. And not only that, he takes it a step further. He actually cries with them. He weeps. One of the shortest, it is, I think, in the English Bible at least, the shortest verse in all of Scripture and yet one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture. Jesus weeps with these people, even though he already has the solution. That's powerful. What that should teach us is, listen, Jesus, he, look, we, we may already have a solution or think we already have the solution to someone's problems. It's not permission for us to just open up and share our solution. First, we gotta share in the feelings. Another way to make sure that we have life-giving conversations is to erase the comments. Erase the comments. Let me try to explain this. If you look at Proverbs 10, 19, this is one of the most practical verses in all the Bible. It says this, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. It's pretty straightforward. And I gotta tell you, there is no better case study for this verse than social media. 
There is no better case study for this verse. See, here's the thing, and I'm guilty of this. The more word vomiting that we do on our Facebook wall or on our Twitter feed, the more we sin. Even if we're sharing the truth with people, we often sin when we just throw lots of long discords on our Facebooks or on our Instagrams or on our whatever the case may be, email. And here's why. Because earlier when I referenced the ears and eyes thing, Here's what oftentimes we do with social media. We use neither of those. We don't use our ears to hear people, and we don't use our eyes to see people. It's almost like when we post things on there, we act like they're not people. It's just arguments, a thread of arguments. And so what we do is we open up our proverbial mouths by typing away with our fingers, and we don't see the people who we, may, we might be hurting with our sharp and our cutting remarks. And then we also don't hear the other person's perspective. We simply reply to them by deleting their comments off our feeds or by writing a longer, more harsh comment in response. See, and here's what we do. We cover up the mean-spiritedness with comments like this. I don't mean to offend anybody here or I don't want to share my opinion. Well, that's exactly what... That's exactly what we are doing. I'm including myself in this. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm trying to do is plead with you, brothers and sisters in Christ, plead with myself that sometimes we just need to hit delete on our comments. But here's the thing. This this goes far beyond social media. It relates directly to what good communication skills are, and that is to say that talking less is wise. If you want to say more, then say less. Some of the most impactful speakers in the world, I'm not talking public speakers, I'm talking about people who lead rooms, lead meetings. They're the ones that, and I'm not good at this, I talk way too much, if you know me, I ramble. But some of the most effective communicators in the world say very few words, and they listen like crazy. We've gotta learn to delete the comments. Because again, when we're listening and we're not talking, when we're saying less, we hear people and we see them, right? It's interesting, we we, uh, here at Grace Bible Church, we have small groups. One of the things that I love uh, to tell our small group hosts is for them to talk less, right? The goal of being a small group host is to talk less and allow conversations to happen amidst the group. And here's why. Because when we're listening to one another in the small group talk, and they're sharing their hearts, and they're sharing their feelings, and they're sharing their ideas and thoughts on Scripture, then ultimately we are hearing from God through their lives, through their experiences, and through the way that God is moving and at work in them. Right? Which is a good segue to small groups. On your chair... (laughs) there is a flyer to remind you to sign up for small groups. And honestly, that is a place where you can have great life-giving conversations. So I encourage you to consider jumping into those. But again, the reason that works, right? No one wants to show up to a small group and just hear 45 minutes of somebody talking. I mean, I I get that, that you can learn something from that. There's nothing wrong with that style of learning. But 
the, at least for me, the reason I get up in the morning to go to my small group is not so that I hear more talking uh, from myself, obviously, but so that I can hear from the guys in my group and I can hear what God's doing in their life and their perspective and their thoughts. And I, honestly, I walk away a lot of times like, wow, that is awesome. I would have never seen that or heard that from the Lord if they had not said it. Right, again, it goes back to allowing others to talk, talking less. Talking less. Now, moving on, there are going to be times when we as people are going to have, have to have tough conversations. Up to this point, I've really been focusing on how we can be great listeners, but there are times after we've heard people and love them, listen to them, and listen to God, that we are going to be in a position where we have to say something, to actually have hard conversations. When that happens, there's a few things we need to do. You see, often when you get into hard conversations, our natural reaction in hard conversations is to put on our proverbial gloves and swing at each other, get defensive and fight back when we're hearing what seems to be maybe something that's negative behind a comment. And here's the thing, nothing life-giving comes from a fight. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Well, yeah, a lot of times the greatest conversations I have happen after a fight. Yes, I get that fights can lead you to a place where you have life-giving conversations, but no one wins a fight, right? Any married person in here can tell you, I've won arguments in my life, but no one wins that. No one wins that because it's just all it does is it creates unnecessary pain or unnecessary sin that you commit amidst the fight or amidst the, 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 the negative conversation that you have. So that's why when you have those hard conversations and insults might be getting hurled at you, you have to do this. You have to get underneath the insult. This is a crucial key to life-giving communication. You have to get underneath the insult, which is so hard to do but so necessary to do, right? Proverbs 25 says this, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. It is tough to get beneath the surface of what people are often saying, but someone who's wise can listen to even insults being hurled at them and, and take a step back and say, what is is causing their, them to have this reaction and then try to get underneath what they're saying, not just listen to what they're saying. That's a hard skill to learn. I definitely don't have that figured out. If you have some thoughts that you'd love to share with me, you could do so. But see, we gotta understand the negative remarks that are made to us or at us, sometimes it's not us that the person is mad at. Sometimes it's something underneath, some trauma, something that's, that's tough underneath. And listen, parents of teenagers, you're gonna get a lot of this. You got, I'm, not say, I'm not suggesting you allow your teenager to, to speak massively disrespectful to you. But, but, I, but hear me when I say this. They are going through some biological changes that are tremendous. Their body is doing things. They have new emotions and different things that they have that they, they do not have figured out. Developmentally, they're not there. And then they're experiencing, I, I feel like genuinely pray for students in our generation, okay? They are 
constantly being bullied. They're constantly facing like this, this need, desire to fit in, and it's not easy to do. They've got, all, they've got an onslaught of society. Like Basically, there's a few places that teenagers, unfortunately, feel very loved and welcome. Oftentimes, they're treated as an inconvenience. Like, they show up to Starbucks, and the barista's like, oh, great, I've got to make 19 frappuccinos, and I don't want to do that. The point being, they go through a lot. They, 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 they don't always feel loved and cared for. So underneath their insult might be a lot of pain that they're going through, a lot of pain that they're walking through. So a lot of times when you hear an insult from a teenager or you hear an insult from your spouse, you've got to dig underneath what's going on and find what trauma or insecurity is causing that lash out. Again, I'm not condoning that you just let people disrespect you. But I am asking that you would consider, and I'm asking myself, that I would consider listening long enough to hear past the insult, not get defensive, not fight back, but just like, okay, okay, I'm listening. All right, I want to hear what you have to say. You want to know who's really gifted at looking past pain and uncovering trauma? Foster parents and adoptive parents. Right, they bring kids into their homes who naturally, because of the trauma they're experiencing, are going to say some really horrible things more often than not. They're going to have some outlandish emotions. Why? Because they're going through a lot, a lot. And so I say this to say that it, you should consider this. If you want to help This is a practical way you can serve and having life-giving conversations. If you want to help life-giving environments exist in Portage Lakes, then you should consider today stopping in the lobby by the table that features open hearts, open hands, and foster my community, Portage Lakes. So here's the thing. I love this. I I see those bags out there, and I think, wow, if someone would commit to putting together one of those bags for foster our community, Portage Lakes then what you're doing is you are removing a particular stressor in the life of a foster parent so that they're equipped when they get, then they get a kid, they're equipped so that they can immediately focus on helping that child get underneath the pain they're experiencing as opposed to, oh, I gotta rush and get all these supplies and things like that. So this is just one way you can help life-giving conversations, life-giving environments happen in our community. So I would ask that you would consider thinking about those things, but then also learn that, that they are truly, and they've, I've mentioned them twice, last week and this week, but they truly are an example of what it means to be able to look past the insults that are hurled and simply love and care for. We ought to do that as God's children. Moving on, the next thing you have to do in having life-giving conversations is you have to invoke God and plan. Invoke God and plan. Now, I know what you're thinking. Stephen, who uses the word invoke? I had to find an I to fit with the thing, Right? Okay, just had to find an I. But invoke, for those of you who don't know, it, it's a fancy word for prayer. And prayer is 
oftentimes is a fancy word for talking to God. So if you want to know what to say in those hard conversations, after you've listened and heard what to say, then ask God for the words to say. John 12, 49 says this, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I love this. Jesus is a great example of this, and, and is that he, he says, basically, the words that I'm sharing with you, I, they're not mine. They're from my Father. And Jesus, above all people, was someone that every day spoke to the Lord and listened to him and responded out of that listening. And I get that it's kind of like confusing because Jesus is God. I understand that. But there is a relationship, as I talked about last week, between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would get away, talk to the Father, and listen, and then would speak from that. We should do the same thing. Matthew 10, 19, 20 says this, but when, you, when they hand you over, don't worry about what, uh, do not worry about how or what you are to speak, for they will be given what you, uh, for you will be given what to say at that hour because it isn't you speaking, the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Now again, I get that this verse, if you read this verse, it's talking about persecution. It's talking about like a lot of times when Christians find themselves in, in horrible circumstances as a result of their faith, they respond with the most eloquent and beautiful things you'd ever hear. Right? You hear stories of, of church leaders being killed for their faith and the way they respond is with such grace and such love and such compassion to the very person that, that's not just trying to harm them but trying to kill them oftentimes. And so that's what this passage is saying but the principle still applies. See, when you're in the midst of your most difficult conversations, if you have asked God for what to say, if you are constantly in the habit of saying, God, I wanna be able to speak life to people, I wanna be able to share something that's gonna impact them, if you are like that, then when you have those conversations, it won't be you speaking but it will be the spirit of God speaking through you. And that same spirit gives you the ability to plan what you are to speak. And these last four, and they go quick, these last four principles are part of the plan that forms when you talk to your Heavenly Father. The first is this, when you're having those tough conversations, you've got to learn to validate people's voices. I know it's like I'm over-emphasizing over the listening part, but this is a little different. See, validating someone's voice when you're having those conversations is listening and not judging what they say. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. It's called, it's called active listening. This is a skill that a lot of times counselors use in marriage counseling. But active listening is doing this. So, for example, your spouse says to you, you maybe you have a really busy time at work in the last couple of weeks. Your spouse says to you, I really feel like you are not engaged here at home lately. Now, there's two ways to respond to this. There's active listening or there's non-active listening. Non-active listening would be to respond defensively and say, well, you don't understand. We have these deadlines at work. My boss is basically breathing down my neck. You don't understand. That is not active listening. That's being a bad listener. Being a good listener would be something like this. Let, it's, it's restating what they say. So you might say something like, okay, let, I want to clarify. So you're, you're, at, you're saying to me, that I have not been engaged here at home lately, 
What are some things you think that I could do to be more engaged? What ways, what ways, and do it sincerely, don't be a smart aleck. Simply say, listen, what ways can I be more engaged? What ways can I be here, present here more, and what things can I do differently? And, and you might say, after you say that, after a conversation goes on for a while, you might say, you, got, you know, I am going through a lot of stress at work, but don't be defensive, just listen and restate what they're saying, right? So that way, the person that you're listening to will feel validated and heard. Equally important in having conversations that are hard, you have to initiate what I call Q&As. And what I mean here is ask good questions so that you can receive good answers. Right, this is important with teenagers and young people, kids. If you ask open-ended questions, you'll get longer answers. If you ask yes and no questions, you'll get yes or no, right? And I'm, I'm bad at this sometimes. I'll be like, Sophia, how was school? Good. See, that's not a very, like, but if I said, so if I say, Sophia, how was, like, what was your favorite part about the day today? Can you share a story? That is a, a lot better answer than good, right? So, so you have to ask open-ended questions. And this is really important with teenagers. We learn this, um, we've learned this in small groups with teenagers, is when you ask them a question, ask it in the format of saying, in your opinion, and then fill in the blank. The reason is because then there's no wrong answer, right? If you say, hey, in your opinion, what do you think about this? Then they're not afraid to give the wrong answer. They're just going to answer because you asked them in your opinion. But here's the thing. When you do that, be ready to actually listen to their opinion and not disagree with it. Because the second you do that, the next time you ask in your opinion question, they're not going to answer because they got, you know, browbeat the second it happened. Another principle when you're having these hard conversations to make sure they're life-giving conversations is nail down the timing. Nail down the timing. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says this. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak. I'm not gonna unpack this, but, but here's a comment I heard from Rick Warren. The wrong, the, excuse me, the right conversation at the wrong time is the wrong conversation. We ought to take note of that when talking to somebody, having a hard conversation. And finally, when you have tough conversations, and I think this above all of the other ones is the most important, when you have tough conversations that are life-giving, you have to give each other grace. Romans 15, 7 says this, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. I love this. The ultimate basis for life-giving conversations is the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? Because it is at the cross that you see tender love put on display when, by the way, Jesus could have been very defensive. The Bible says he could have snapped his fingers and angels could have come and rescued him. But instead, he showed tender love. We see patience, right? He was patient. We see forgiveness, we see Jesus looking past everybody's insults and ridicule, right? In the moment that Jesus was hanging on the cross, blood dripping from his brow, in excruciating pain, and people were spitting in his face and mocking him. It said, the Bible says that Jesus said to the Father, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. He looked past the insult and he forgave them though they didn't deserve forgiveness. That is so crucial when we have conversations with one another. 
We have to show the same grace to those we're speaking with and those we're listening to that Jesus extends to us when he was on the cross. And he still extends that grace to us today. Let's pray. Jesus, I simply ask that as we leave this place and inevitably end up in all sorts of conversations this week, that we would try to have conversations that are life-giving. Only your spirit can help us do this, God. In our own flesh, we will have toxic talks. But through your spirit, we will be life-giving to one another. And so, Lord, just help us. Help us. Give us ears to hear each other, eyes to see each other. And then out of that, Lord, let us speak with love and compassion, grace, mercy. I pray you help help us with it, Lord. We are so grateful that this is how you relate to us. You relate to us in not responding in defense or in revenge, but you offer us grace through Jesus Christ. I pray that we would carry that with us as we consider our conversations with other people. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us. We will be continuing our series, All Kids Matter, next week. Um, we hope you'll join us again. If you want to reach out to us, connect with us, um, feel free to text the, the phone number 330-42869, the word connect. And that's a way you can get in touch with one of the pastors or staff here at The Grace Or as Jason mentioned, underneath your chair, there is a connect card. But we do hope you have an awesome week, and we do hope that you will go and have life-giving conversations with others. God bless you all.